the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. I'm Rob Black. Let's get started. July 26th. July's almost over, man. We were just doing the updates on the first half of the year being over. Now we're talking about the first month of the second half of the year almost over. It goes by quickly now, especially when you take a vacation week or two. Um, have a birthday celebration or something goes long and you're like, whoa, where did the time fly? Ah, I saw a real interesting tease and I kind of want to talk about it. Uh, one, yeah, I'll talk about it quickly and then I'm going to hit the headlines. But one piece of research that I came across is from a market timer, a cycle guy. So he looks at business cycles. And he ultimately says this stock market run won't peak until 2025. And then I looked further into it. And it was quoting a lot of historical data. SB 500 hit a low on March 9th. It was 48, 58% higher by September. Um, and you start seeing that there's a lot of predictions. I'm not that guy. I don't really care what's going to happen by 2025. I want you to know that going in. Yesterday, the NASDAQ was a big winner, up two-thirds of 1%. The SP 500 up one quarter of 1%. The Dow up fractions. We're in earnings season. Microsoft is down. What did I see? Down roughly 10 points, which, oh, no, that sounds like a lot. I don't think it really is when you see that they're up, you know, 80 points in the last three months. But again, I'm not really all that short term of a guy. I'll, I'll look at Microsoft and see that a chart on the company, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. I'm pretty pleased with it. I try not to get caught up too much in the short term. Keep in mind, I do a daily show, so that's kind of weird, right? And I see that Google reported earnings last night, and they're up 6% while Microsoft is down 3%. And I'll tell you what, if you can take the last 3, 6, 9, 12 months performance from those guys, you would. Um, I, how about we say 3, 6, 1 year, 5 year, 7 year, 10 year? You would. So that's more of the angle that I'm going at there. So earnings can have a, a bumpy feel to them, earnings season. Like NVIDIA has had such an amazing run this year that if they don't report earnings in a couple of weeks that say they turn straw into gold, I have to imagine the stock's going to pull back. But if they, at the same time, they say we did well, but we're going to do really, really well until the year 2025, as far as we can see right now, I'd be like, "Ooh, that's pretty exciting. So I do like earnings season because it is kind of a tell the truth time of the year. Um, and I do kind of honestly like that. Uh, but let's keep moving forward with all the content that we can squeeze into this segment on what happened yesterday and what's happening today. Um, back to yesterday. Um, one of the weirder headlines or pieces of news that I saw on the BBC was that a South Miami beach, uh, 
hit 101.1 degrees and that's like a hot tub. Sometimes I get into a hot tub at 104. I'm like, Ooh, that's a little too hot. Could you imagine a fish living in your hot tub? Now again, I know the beaches, so it's the first 10 feet. Then it starts getting colder and colder and colder. I get it. Um, but that's alarming. I'm not really an environmental guy, but that's alarming. And I pretty sure before I'm dead, uh, the planet will still be here after I die. But that's alarming. Not a good day to be a fishing in Miami on the beaches. Uh, the Dow is at a run for the ages. Yesterday, it was up just 0.08%. That's 12 days in a row. Spotify dropped like a rock last night, revealing widening losses due to a failed podcasting investments and projecting lower revenue than analysts predict, uh, predicted. But also, let's face it, TikTok versus um, Snap. TikTok wins. And if TikTok were able to figure out how to buy Snap, TikTok double wins because those are the two apps the kids use most. Um, there's a lot of use of the word AI in earnings season, a lot. So get used to it. Um, you may not associate Snapchat with AI, but I listened to their call yesterday and they talked about how they have something called an AI chatbot. And it has 150 million plus uses. Users have sent over 10 billion messages to it called My AI. So I had to get up on YouTube because I don't really want to do it on my phone, on my phone. Like I, I want to see other people use the service. I'm just not using I'm not a snap guy. Oh, snap. Shares plunge 19%. I don't think you're going to ever see me own shares of snap. I, I, I can't say never. Usually if I'd say never, I'd say things like, uh, I'll give you $10 million if you see me own shares of snap, but I can't say never on that one. Next week, we get Amazon and Apple. Today, after the bell, we get Zuckerberg and Meta. Will he say AI more than he said says the word metaverse? In the last quarterly call, he did say AI more. Um, interesting headlines out of the world of tech today. Um, tied towards maps. Meta, Microsoft, and Amazon. Um, they're releasing data that could enable companies to build their own apps their own maps into their apps without having to use Google or Apple. So every time you like, for instance, I just heard a commercial during uh, the break talking about you can get half off vouchers for Christian schools, private schools in the Bay area. And I went to take a look and there's like, there's a lot of them. It looks like a really great deal. If you're going to send your kid to those schools. Um, Cause it's a voucher. It's not like something you have to pay for. It's a really great deal. But when I looked at it, I saw uh, you could see where the schools are based on Google Maps. So Google gets paid for that. Now, it's typically per thousand uses. But every time you're looking at a Google map on someone else's app, you're paying. For, Google's getting a slice of that. Apple does it a little bit differently. They let their they let some companies use it, but not all. So um, Apple basically allows access to Apple Maps for free for native app developers, but web app developers need to pay. Whereas Google Maps look up through an application, also known as an API, an application programming interface. So an app maker will pay per thousand. Um, if you didn't know that, that's kind of fascinating. So anyway, Meta's probably not going to talk about that tonight, but that's one of the press releases out there today, Meta, Microsoft, and Amazon, along with a company called TomTom, who does a lot of GPS uh, devices are working together to 
show their 59 million points of interest, restaurants, landmarks, streets, regional borders, um, and to create another alternative to Google and Apple. Coca-Cola raised their annual forecast as demand is unaffected by price hikes. The interesting thing about Coca-Cola is you're not going to get a lot of growth, but you're going to get a lot of consistency. They're a dividend achiever. They're a company that continues to pay dividends. They continue to raise their dividends. Uh, They're boring. Every time they've tried something new like Coke 2.0 or New Coke, it hasn't necessarily been a smash hit. They're at the point now where if they want to smash hit, they have to acquire a company that has the smash hit, it seems. Um, But it's still going to be a drop in the soda bucket for them. But Coca-Cola raised its annual revenue and profit forecast. If you were to tell me, Rob, I'm 20 years old, I'm going to hold it for 40 years, I would say you're going to do very, very well. Because I'll look at the last 40 years. And you can see that they've done very, very well over a prolonged period of time. With that said, do I see Coca-Cola or Pepsi ever going out of business? I don't. Um, I think that's worthy of, of throwing down there. I like them for their dividends. They're boring consistency, but not really the growth. Pepsi's more of a grower because they appeal to younger uh, generations and tastes with the flavors that they throw into their chips, into their sodas. But uh, I have no problem with you owning long-term something like a Coca-Cola. Um, again, you wouldn't have to think about it. Then again, it's not going to really outwork everything in the market for you, is it? You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. So this is not a hardcore news show. This is the news according to my views and how to implement them into saving more money for retirement. Hopefully while you're younger. So that while you're, when you're older, you're able to live off your savings and enjoy retirement. I think there is nothing sadder than the way my mother spent her last 20 years. Um, after my father died, while she was still healthy, she could have gone out and found a new husband or a, a companion to hang out with. She liked playing bridge. She just stayed shut in and watched TV. And... She's like, Brian Williams is a good looking man. She'd always tell me like uh, these different TV anchors that she thought were good looking. Then she had a couple strokes and then she was not only shut in physically, uh, but now she was mentally shut in as well. Mom, who's president of the United States? Oh, you know, I know. That rascal. I'm like, you don't know. Um, so my goal is to hopefully get you the, you know, like when you're 50, start losing some weight because you're not going to be a, a fit buff. You're not going to be able to snap back like you used to. Brush your teeth. They fall out every year or they decay every year. Keep them healthy. Get the old floss out. Losing your teeth equals dentures. Dentures equals not the greatest lifestyle. Um, that's kind of the goal of the show. To stop you from losing your teeth. I don't go into hardcore political news. I find that most of the news that were served up is fluff. Um, and I do, I, I don't like it. So when I do watch the news, I try to watch the BBC. So at least it's a, a English perspective on the U S versus the U S perspective on the U S which has found that through the last 25 years, the only way to make money in news is to have opinion and not fact checking. Um, and I can tell you, it's, it's tough. I've been in, uh, local news for 25 years and I can tell you 
23 years. I can tell you the amount of money for budget goes lower and lower and lower. The quality of advertiser, um, it's not great. And advertisers have more options now. You know when local news has the most money is election season, which is kind of interesting. So their ad departments pull in big revenue um, for their news department to go out and do more work. But it does take money to make work. Um, you know, one area that I'm excited about AI is accounting. Ask any CFO what excites them most about artificial intelligence and you'll hear a similar answer. No more menial tasks and mindless data entry. Now, I want to know what, what are the menial tasks, but accounting seems like an area and taxes seems like an area where AI could do a really good job. Let's talk about that for just a second. You're hearing today, well, it's earnings season. You're going to hear the word AI. And in the year 2000, you'd hear in uh, earnings calls, what's your dot-com strategy? What's your web strategy? Now it's what's your AI strategy? Uh, just throw that down there for you. But one of the things you're going to hear is, Sam Altman, he's going to turn into an Elon Musk type character or a Bill Gates. He's the technical creator of AI, uh, ChatGPT. He says AI advocates are fooling themselves that they think the technology is only going to be good for workers. Jobs are definitely going to go away. And I think it's going to be the lower end jobs, like with the accounting. It's not going to be the CFO. It's going to be some of the people he hired underneath him. Now, generative artificial intelligence technology such as ChatGPT could boost productivity for many workers. That's good. Productivity gains in the 1990s because of the internet helped the stock market have a massive run. Instead of sending a letter and waiting three days for it to come, you sent an email. I had an electrician at my home the other day, and in the afternoon, he sent me an email saying, here's the deposit if you want to work with us. He didn't have to go back to his office, come up with a deposit and, and, and mail it out. That's productive. Altman, in an interview with The Atlantic, pushed back on the idea that the AI boom would have only a positive impact on workers. He says a lot of people are going to work on AI, pretend that it's only going to be good. It's only going to be a supplement. No one is ever going to be replaced. He says jobs are definitely going to go away, full stop. I've seen AI used in pretty cool ways. I've seen a, a, a real estate broker basically say, show me a list of all properties within four miles of the beach. And let's say there's a, a special beach like called Shark Beach. Show me all properties listed for sale that have three bedrooms, two baths within four miles of Shark Beach. And that used to be like, hey, tell your assistant to go do that for me. So... Now the assistant just needs to know how to plug it in. Cuts out a lot of the work. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Retirement mistakes that people make. I always like lists. I think America loves lists. I learned that I love lists when Dave Letterman started doing top 10 lists. Um. I think the biggest mistake that I see people do as they head towards retirement of having all their eggs in one basket. 
I've seen people wiped out in real estate because they had four rental properties. And in 2006, 2007, 2008, the economy hits a rough patch. Home values go down. This guy was overstretched and he was a, a father of an ex-girlfriend. And he was mechanic for United Airlines. And in 2000s, he decided I'm going to become a real estate tycoon. So he had a home that he didn't own, but he was in the process of owning a 30-year mortgage. So he took money out of the house and put a deposit on another home and put renters in it. So far, so good. Did the same exact thing again. So now he's up to three properties, one that he lives in, two that he rents out. Did it again. Now, keep in mind, he's never paying anything off. Suddenly, he has three rentals in his own home, and the economy slows down, and the renters stop paying. One by one, he lost home by home by home by home, including the one that he was living in because he put all of his eggs in one basket. Had he stopped at one, he probably would have been okay. One rental, one property that you own, that you live in. But he got too aggressive. He wasn't expecting a downturn. He wasn't expecting interest rates to start moving up on him, so he had only adjustable rate mortgages. He wasn't expecting renters not paying him. Is this an extreme case? It doesn't sound like it to me. Now, I just it's a cautionary tale because you know what happened next? He had a heart attack and he died. Well, no, he took a second job as a carpet cleaner while he was also a United Airlines mechanic. And then he had a heart attack and died. So his family didn't have a house. They didn't have any of his retirement savings because there wasn't any. That stinks. So one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is having all their eggs in one basket, whether it be Bitcoin, whether it be real estate, um, or whether it be tech stocks. It's a silly, silly mistake to make because things can go bad. And unfortunately, sometimes they do go bad. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. You are listening to the Rob Black Show podcast. For more information on EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Let's talk finance. Let's talk money. Let's talk retirement. That's kind of the name of the game on this show, getting you to retirement. One of the ways you can do it is earn more money. Another way you can do it is save more money. But the way I like doing it on this show more often than not is invest more money or invest better. A way for me to invest better is to have reliable and accurate news sources. Briefing.com is one of them. Um, it's one that I start my day with each and every day. And on radio, if I ever hit a snag, I'll pull up briefing.com and I'll take a look at the update. And their update today is saying digesting a heavy batch of earnings news headlined by Microsoft and Alphabet. It goes on to say other things, but that gives you the idea of how useful information can be. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? All right, Rob. I'm doing okay. Thanks. Uh, getting ready for, uh, well, it's already been a busy day and it's going to get busier here when we hear yeah, from the Fed later this afternoon. <laughs> That's today. You're right. You know what? It's funny. It's skipped my head. For some reason, I thought we're still on Tuesday. Uh, but before we get to the Fed, let's uh, talk a little bit about Alphabet and Microsoft from last night. Their stocks had huge run-ups in the last 90 days. There was a lot riding on the earnings report, but they both seem to be handling it pretty well. Alphabet's moving higher, Microsoft moving lower. Was there anything in the news that you saw there other than the word AI used hundreds of times during the conference calls? <laughs> anything that we should be worried about? Or is this just a little bit of profit taking or a little bit of uh, a bump after a nice re- earnings? Not, nothing spectacular, but I could see. 
Yeah, you know, I think you you pretty much just summed it up perfectly, Rob. I mean, uh, there wasn't really anything in either report that was a true bomb, uh, okay. if you will. Uh, in fact, Alphabet was deemed, uh, you know, uh, quite a bit better than expected. So you've seen a nice upward re- reaction in that stock price. Microsoft just simply, you know, it was it was good. You know, it just maybe wasn't quite great. Uh, and, and one of the things that uh, investors seem to be focusing on as an excuse to take some money off the table is just that the revenue guide for the next quarter was just a little bit below consensus, nothing nothing major. But it's clear that Microsoft still has growth drivers ahead of it with the, uh, with the AI prospects um, and, uh, and obviously still trying to work its way through this Activision acquisition. Um, so... You know, to see a stock the size of Microsoft down 4%, it might catch some people by surprise, but let's keep in mind that uh, it was up 46% for the year going into the print. So 4% uh, pullback here is, um, you know, it's it's not all that, it's not as significant as it appears at first blush. So let's um, let's sum up earnings season so far before we move on to the Fed. Uh, we're not too far through it, but we're getting deeper into earnings season. I haven't seen massive layoffs. I haven't seen massive misses. I, I might be just lucky that I haven't seen them. Uh, but what are you seeing as far as the data is telling you? Right. Um, you know, I think you still have a collective tone, uh, one that is you know uh, cautiously optimistic, okay. I'd say. Um, you know, I think that... Uh, CEOs, CFOs alike are, are cognizant that, you know, when you get a, a rate hike cycle like we've seen, you know, you will see a slowdown in activity. And, and I think they're, you know, they're aware of that. They're talking about it. But at the same time, you know, they're acknowledging that demand uh, hasn't uh, dropped off a cliff, really. Uh, and that, you know, the consumers, for the most part, continue to show resilience underpinned by uh, excess savings and uh, and the strength of the labor market that has people gainfully employed and, and actually seen uh, growth in real earnings that helps, uh, you know, support their discretionary spending activity. Um, you know, so that's kind of the qualitative uh, angle here. But I could say from a quantitative standpoint, uh, the, the reporting season has been a little bit worse than expected, if you will. Interesting. Um, coming into the, you know, the start of the earnings, you know, uh, second quarter earnings were expected to decline 7.4% year over year, according to FactSet. Uh, and we're now uh, looking at a, at a blended rate, uh, which accounts for the companies that have already reported, as well as the estimates for companies that have not reported. And that stands at minus 8.4% as of today. Uh, so a little bit worse, but uh, I think you and I have talked about this. I mean, the, the market is not fixed on what it's hearing today. It's fixed on what it thinks it's going to hear in the second half of the year and what it's going to see in 2024. And right now, uh, consensus assessments for 2024 uh, project a little bit better than 12% year-over-year growth. And uh, and that's what the, the market kind of is keen on here, more so than any, you know, near-term disappointments. Speaking of the near term, the Fed is near. Um, you write about the Fed Reserve and what they're likely to do today in your page one titled Earnings of the Fed in Market Sightlines. Let's talk a little bit about the Fed because um, 
As a saver, I'm kind of excited to see them raise rates. As an investor, I'm kind of disappointed to see them raise rates. Um, how about you? What are, what are your thoughts on the Fed? I, I guess maybe as a, an economist, I'm not an economist, but if I were playing an economist, I'd be like, you're going to crash the economy. So I have multiple views on the Fed is what I'm getting at. Right. Well, they kind of have given uh, you know enough ammunition for people to have multiple views. You know, they're either the enemy or the savior, and uh, or maybe something in between. But uh, you know, from our vantage point, they waited far too long to to get going with the tightening cycle, and of course, we saw you know inflation rates really uh, take off. Um, now, at the same time, they then got quite aggressive in a playing in a catch up mode. Uh, and uh, and we're seeing, you know, clear signs of disinflation that have, you know, been helped, uh, you know, partly by uh, supply chain improvement too, and also base uh, base effect comparisons. Uh, but now I guess you could say that the Fed is really starting to uh, is getting into the the hard part here of getting that uh, core inflation rate, which is so focused on, back down to the two percent target in the midst of a still strong labor market. Um, so, you know, I think that the Fed here, uh, market widely expects it to raise another 25 basis points today. Um, the Fed Fund's futures market thinks that that'll be it then. Um, it's not looking, doesn't have a strong probability for another rate hike after this meeting. And, uh, you know, what I mean by that is that there's a less than 50% probability over the remainder of this year at, at, at any of the remaining meetings that, the Fed will raise again. Uh, so um, I think Fed Chair Powell will go out of his way to uh, try to emphasize that uh, the Fed's not pre-committed to, to a decision. It's going to continue to watch the data. It, it, uh, the Fed thinks that core inflation is improved, but still too high. Uh, and uh, he'll probably just stick to the knitting of what the prior economic projections, the summary of economic projections suggested in terms of what Fed members' views were for, uh, you know, at the time they were looking for at least two more rate hikes this year. And I think that'll be left on the table. Um, the market probably would be okay with him saying as much. Uh, where the market might be upset is if he goes out of his way, uh, both in terms of his language and his tone, to imply that uh, the Fed, you know, is going to have to go more than one more time after today's meeting. Um, but that's that would that would really be a surprise because I think I don't think he's, that's just not his um, his mo. Um, I think he likes to keep the market in a very stable state, uh, so to speak, as it relates to thinking about Fed policy. Um, but um, one last thought is I do think he will make a point of emphasizing too that uh, that rates are likely to stay higher for longer, even if that means that this is the last rate hike. Uh, he'll 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 be, I think, pretty um, open about the idea that the Fed's not even thinking about cutting rates anytime soon yet. Interesting. Can I ask you a silly quick question of the Fed fund futures rate? I've never doing this for 25 years. I've never really followed how often when you said they have almost a no percent chance of raising rates after this meeting. Does that get revised a lot or is it ever just wildly wrong in your opinion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it is. It is wrong. So it's just based on you know the Fed funds futures market trading. So it's a, it's an active contract, uh, you know, that you trade on a daily basis, and, and it it swings to and fro based on a lot of the Fed's pronouncements, and then also what 
traders are seeing in terms of key data, particularly you know the inflation data. Um, and it's not that it's not that the the Fed funds future doesn't see a you know a zero percent chance of a second rate hike. It's just that it sees it as a, a low probability that we're going to get another one after this meeting. Now. Um, we know, though, that the Fed funds futures market has been wrong because, um, you know, it was not that long ago that, you know, the Fed or the market was expecting rate cuts by about this time. And uh, and that clearly didn't come to pass. And so um, but notwithstanding what the Fed funds futures market is saying or notwithstanding the fact that the Fed has raised rates more than the market had previously expected, um you look at broader economic measures and you can see that the economy is still holding up reasonably well in the face of those rate hikes. Uh, and so, um, so, you know, so in general, stock market has been pretty uh, comfortable with where the Fed has, has gone uh, and doesn't look overly concerned at this point anyway uh, that, you know, that a policy mistake is in the making and that we're going to, you know, see a hard landing because of it. That's another view that could change over time, but that's just kind of where we're at right now based on the price action we're seeing in the stock market. Thanks for that explanation. I, I truly feel like I should have a better vibe on that, and because I don't, I don't really quote it very often. Thanks. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. I have a little extra time to give them a little bit more of a plug. We don't have enough time to get into a lot of content. I use Briefing.com each and every morning. I start my day with Patrick O'Hare's uh, page one today, Earnings and Fed Market Insight. Uh, if you want to t- take a look at what's happening, big picture of the market, you can check out his column on Fridays. On a day-by-day basis, you can see what's moving the market. Um, lack of conviction ahead of the Fed meeting today. It's easy to see, and they, they publish it on a daily basis. Find them at briefing.com. That's briefing.com. This interview featured on The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. I saw some data a couple days ago that I'm finally putting into a story. I work in an industry that sometimes we have to do financial stories that are on the softer side. This is one of them. Baby boomers think tipping has gone too far, but they still cough up more than Generation Z. Now, again, baby boomers, Generation X, millennials, and Generation Z are kind of like where we're at. Generation Z spends more money than baby boomers. Boomers tend to, at this point in time, lock themselves up in their home. They're not going out as often as they did when they were younger. Now, there's a dynamic of servitude, which I think is interesting to bring in this conversation. I look at tipping differently than most people do, I think. I feel life has been very good to me. And if I'm out today getting a cup of coffee where... Someone has to be there from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. I'm not locked into that job from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. And I feel kind of blessed that I'm not. So I don't mind tipping. And I always tip. Now, it's kind of weird, though, because there's a psychological weird thing going on with what happened during the pandemic of tip screens or payment screens. They could start flipping them over. So you could be at an airport bookstore, magazine store. You pick up a copy of Wired magazine. They flip the screen over, and it says your your magazine's seven bucks. Do you want to tip fifteen percent, eighteen percent, or twenty percent? You're like, wait, wait. When did we start tipping bookstores? And then you sit like the guy behind you is waiting to pay, and you're like, oh, I better hit one of these because I'm not. I don't want to be looked as like the guy who didn't tip. 
So there's that's called tip fatigue, and it's starting to affect people. Baby boomers who do tip tip the best with 57% typically offering a 20% tip. Generation X shares the, this negative view of tipping gone too far, uh, but slightly fewer of them tip 20%. Millennials in Generation Z, they think it's gotten way out of control. So millennials only tip 20%, 27% of the time, and Generation Z, 22% of the time. I don't have an answer to this argument because, like I said, I have a different view on it. I, I don't look at it as like, am I paying, am I tipping someone? Is a $4 bottle of juice plus 20%? <clears throat> it's not going to bankrupt me. And then I started thinking about it. Like, okay. Like I said, they are getting up at 6 a.m. going in, working for the man. And they're not they're working until 2. And 20 bucks an hour, not going to get you an apartment in California on a coastal area. So they're working 40 hours to 60 hours, and I, I, I get it. But payment screens are now ubiquitous, letting merchants who would never ask for tips ask for them. Two-thirds of Americans have a negative view of tipping, with 30% saying tipping culture has gotten out of control. 41% of Americans believe businesses should pay employees more rather than relying so heavily on tips. Uh, tip creep is intensifying for some businesses they're able to keep their worker if they add that tip screen because that worker might say, you know, in 2019, I was making 16 bucks an hour. Now I'm making 21 bucks an hour on average. Um, but I know that with all the inflation, I'm not keeping up with the Joneses and businesses, whether it's an airport <clears throat> uh, bookstore or whether it's you know, a bagel store where you're not like sitting down and getting service that employee still needs to pay for a rent, right? Um, I get it all. And it's, to me, I just tie it back to my own services. Would I rather, would I want to be doing what they're doing right now? And usually the answer is no. I can't say that's always true. Um, I think I always tip, but I, I think there's sometimes where I'm like, that tip screen does feel a little freaky. Um, as tips inflate the cost of everyday purchases, consumers may grow hesitant to even go out opting to brew their coffee at home and order things online instead of spending in brick and mortar. That's one of the potential negatives here. Um, oh, I know where. Here's one that kind of offended me, but it didn't offend me when I thought about it. When I looked at the people doing the work, I went to a U.S. soccer match in Vegas a couple of months back. And you could walk into a kiosk, and if you wanted to grab two beers, you'd scan your beers. And then it would say, you know, 20 bucks. Do you want to add 20% gratuity, 18%, 15%? And I'm like, there's not even a human being popping the cork for me. They're not, there's not even a human being saying you enjoy the game. It's just a kiosk. And then I looked around, I'm like, but someone has to refill that kiosk. And I looked at the people fill, refilling the kiosk. I was like, I bet they don't really want to be here. I bet they'd rather be watching the game or doing something other than this. So, I'm not going to tell you I did or didn't tip because I don't really remember if I did or didn't, but I saw the reason to, um, or I saw a reason to that again, I'm like, wow, it's a hundred dollars to get in. And you know, it's everything's so expensive food, you know, with beers, 10 bucks, why not just say beers, 11 bucks and pay your employees more. Um, I get it. It's, 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 we can't win on this one. I don't have enough time to get into the next idea that I want to get into, but I'll touch on it because I want you to start thinking about it. 
Snap is clearly losing the battle to TikTok, even though Snap has 397 million daily active users, up 14% and a few million more than the street had expected in their recent quarter. Um, they projected revenue of $1.07 billion. Any company that has a billion dollars, they're not a joke. But I think they kind of lost the war because TikTok got kids engaged with music and dancing and challenges where Snap is more about a one-on-one with your face. And it all they'll alter your face with funny photos. Again, I don't really use Snap, so I can't say that definitively. Um, costs are rising at Snap. That's what I can say is a problem. Um, infrastructure costs per daily active user uh, between 79 and 84 cents in the quarter. Um, they're trying to put a lot of investment into AI and other infrastructure. Their numbers of 79 to 84 cents per active user cost of infrastructure is up from 70 cents a year earlier. So it's getting more expensive to run their business. But did they lose on a fundamental to TikTok or did they lose on a financial to TikTok? I don't know. I just I can't see the investment yet. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.